this episode of Investors <laughs> and Operators, I'm sitting down with Michelle Noon, co-founder and managing partner of Clearhaven Partners <laughs> in Boston. And this is a part two because we did our part one a little bit over a year ago from... It might have been longer. There's a lot to catch it up was, on. It was dog years for all of us over the last year. So uh, Legend has it that there have been some uh, interesting updates for you. We have. Uh, would you, can you please, uh, update the audience? Sure, sure. So, uh, since our last chat, we have, uh, gone ahead and raised our fund one and, uh, ended up with a really fantastic group of investors, um, at about 312 million capital for our, our strategy in our middle market software. Congrats. Uh, Thank let's you. dive in. So how long, how long was the general process? And let's just kind of think through you know, what are some, some big takeaways from, from that process? Yeah, so I think when we last sat down, I was like visioning the firm and we were really just starting. Um, and looking back on, you know, we, we started in August of 19 and really were founded for two reasons. One was to do one thing really well above all else, and that was lower middle market software buyouts. And two was to begin to build a firm with a culture and a set of values that were imbued in how we operated as deal makers and operators with our companies. And I'm really pleased looking back now two years on that initial vision that we've you know begun to do just that. I always like to say we're at the starting line. When we close a deal, we're at the starting line of a deal. We're still very much at the starting line of Clearhaven Partners. Um, but we've taken the first few paces on that journey, including building a team now where 10 people. Um, the folks that have joined Clearhaven have a wealth of experience in private equity and, and in finance. They have other choices. They're coming from larger, almost by definition, more established firms. But they've joined us because they love investing in software businesses and because I think they can see we're trying to create something that really brings values to what we do day to day. Um, and so that feels like, you know, a great success so far. Um, what are the what are the values? Because I'm it's a very yeah. um, front of mind discussion. I was at a, a client of ours, and we did a two day shoot with twenty five plus people, and it's like every single person knew the values like inside and out, yeah. and it was like so much part of their discussion. I thought it was weird. I was like, "What is going on here?" Yeah. But then I realized it was almost like looking in the mirror of what I lacked what we lacked in our firm of having unclear or inconsistent values mm -hmm. and I was like well does this really matter and then you start to think it does because in the absence of being able to be on every single decision values drive that consistently and then that really made us think we have to have this front of mind yeah. front of front of mind and we need to decide what they are as a team yeah so where in the past two years, how, yeah. what were the values? What are right. they? How has the culture evolved? Right, right. So it was one of the two reasons that the firm was founded in the first place, right? Was to create from a blank sheet of paper what's very hard to retrofit onto an existing organization. We've all been in companies where you feel a closer attachment to the ethos of that culture than others where you feel less attached. And the first one works much better, ultimately. And it's better for retention. It's better for morale. And we all put in so much of our lives into our work that if at the end of the day, it doesn't feel authentic to who you are or the firm representing itself in the market is not how you represent yourself, then it's just it's not going to be a long-term proposition. So 
that was important from the outset. But as we've grown, it's also becoming an evolution because of the folks that we add to the mix, some of which join for those, what I also call first principles, right? Values are kind of the first principles on which we're founded. Um, And those include things like, uh, we seek to do one thing really well, that is lower middle market software buyouts. We're not concerned with other things that are going on in the market. We're, We're concerned about what we can do uniquely well and consistently in terms of developing and delivering returns for our investors. It's also a value around true partnership. And we view partnership, which is an oft used word in our industry, overused, I would argue, but we view it with three kind of components. One is the partnership that we have among ourselves within our firm, with our people, how we treat one another, the we, not me kind of partnership mentality. The second is partners with our portfolio companies and our management teams. We're very hands-on in that partnership. We are alongside our, our teams as we go into inevitable bumps in the road and look to you know, obviously win together as well along the way. And with our investors who are trusting us as stewards of their capital, we take that really seriously. You know, Our investors are underlying funding programs on student endowments and and education on firefighter pensions, on clean water programs. These are really important things that we are, you know, have the opportunity to help support by virtue of our work. So we take that partnership seriously. So those are, you know, some of the original first principles, but we have other values as well, such as no FOMO, right? We have a no FOMO policy here at Clearhaven. It is fine if other people are doing other kind of crazy deal structures, valuations, we're completely fine kind of putting our blinders on and letting those things fall off. Um, We also have, you know, uh, a belief that we're learners and we're continuing to compound our knowledge. So while we do have a specialty and an experience base that we draw on, we don't know everything and we're constantly looking to learn and refine and and add that to the playbook. So, you know, there's, uh, there's probably you know, in all, you know, more than a dozen values that we really think are kind of the fundamental principles on which we exist as a firm and and sort of why we exist as a firm. Um, But the good news, we actually did spend some time offsite as a, as a firm. And, you know, we started with the values that I founded the firm with, with my partner, Kevin, but then the team had an opportunity to kind of reiterate those and to add to that. And, um, it really does become a more organic component of who a firm is as a whole versus just the original founders when you take that into account. Has Have you always had a me versus we mentality? And I'm asking that because I have not. And I ask that in that is very, in very, you know, when I was starting the business, the first business, it was like I had to start it. There was nobody yeah. else to be a we. Yeah. And when I was starting this, you know, Jing was doing law and it's yep. like, please come home with me. <laughs> I'm yeah. tired of carrying you. Right. And now we have a team yep. and I've had to develop what does a we mentality actually mean? So I'm curious, you know, what what has been your evolution? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a saying you kind of start with the end in mind and there's an interesting line to walk when you're starting a firm, because by definition, it is about the founder or the founders of a firm, right? But it's things like I've done, like you've done, um, which is my name's not on the door of this firm. You know, it was not intended to be Michelle Noon Capital, you know, from day one. It was intended to 
be non-specific to um, a person's name because it, it's it, you know that enables a we versus a me mentality. Um, and as you add more people, I will say that as an or as a founder, you have to really be committed to that partnership approach. It's easy when you start with the ideas and the, you know the ownership to feel like you want to hold on to that. You know, you're creating something. It feels personal and. I think you do have to continue to keep yourself honest along the way, which is, you know, how does how do you really want this firm to evolve over time? Do you want it to die with you or do you want it to become something bigger than you? Because we all know that none of us is succeeding in this world alone. Right. We're succeeding because of other people around us. Um, and those types of beliefs have to continue to um be pervasive in your psyche along the way because it's easy to kind of you know at times something doesn't go quite right or a team member might do, might say something or do something differently than the way you would you got to remember like those are a part of the learning lessons along the way but if you if you allow for some of that you know perhaps flexibility or even mistakes um you can create something greater than yourself and that for me is going to be a way better thing than just something about so you myself. felt that you started with that and it's just been consistent and I'm, pro- I'm probably just projecting my leadership inadequacies, no. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. And, and maybe I, maybe that's going to a different topic around, you know, being a, being a team player. Um, so we were having one of our team sessions and, you know, Jing partner wife is also like, I need to be able to rely anymore. And, you know, that's in 37 years of my existence. That has always been, one of my weaknesses is the being able to be consistent, uh, accountable. That is just who I am as a person, but you know, that, how do you get over that? How do you grow? You know, if we're going to grow this from six people to 25 to 50, you just have to either, you have to grow from that. And that's one of my big weaknesses, not just for my team, but also my wife. And I want to make sure that she's equally as energized as I am on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And the team is. So that's like one of the things I'm really working through. So I'm curious what has been maybe now in the past two years or maybe before would have been some of those moments when you realize like, wow, this is actually something I have to grow from. Well, one thing I didn't do was work with my husband because that probably would have broken me. So you're doing the triple Lindy that I opted out of. But, um, you know, yeah, there, there are, I mean, the growth over the last two years is truly like dog years for me. It's been incredibly challenging and incredibly rewarding. And um, and we're really at the starting line. So, you know, we've raised a fund. We've done four deals, three platforms. We're at the starting line. We have a lot to prove as an organization and as a team. And, um, and, and you know, that's that can be daunting. It's also, you know... Uh, a hill we're excited to climb. Um, but no, for me, I'd say the, the lessons are learned kind of every day. It's the interactions that we have. It's letting, you know, can I have every introductory call with every management team? In theory, yes. And maybe I can explain the history of the firm in a way that only I can. But if the team doesn't do it, you know, then I'm going to have to be in every conversation. We're never going to scale. So there's some of these things that, you know, one of one of the folks that I spoke to and in the kind of senior women in private equity, small circle that we have in this industry when I was starting out said to me, you know, Michelle, 
I made mistakes on someone else's watch. Now, you know, my team's going to make mistakes on my watch, and that's true. And so you have to allow for that. Um, one of our principles here in our first principles or values is you make original mistakes, not repeated mistakes. And we've got a bunch of smart people. If you're making a mistake, but you're learning from it, okay, that's great. That's experiential learning that you can't get from somebody, you know, going through the steps, uh, you know, in a mentoring session. So um, I think part of it is just accepting upfront that there will be things that are mistakes or things that you would have done differently. And when those do happen, you kind of remind yourself, yeah, that's that was sort of what I expected along the way. And then you kind of move past it and hopefully the team learns and grows from that. It's hard for me. I'm, I'm a recovering Wait. perfectionist. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> what well, have you, it's interesting because people, you know, if you have that tendency to, um, to want everything perfect and it's interesting that tendency going into an entrepreneurial context, yeah. which is, you know, almost by definition chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then for some reason it works a couple years later if you stick with it. But what is, uh, so I don't know if I get, so wait, I'm unclear. So what has been the difficult time or either in this context or another one of just like, I really had to grow from that. Well, I mean, honestly, like it's the all encompassing nature of it. I'm a pretty intense person. So the intensity yeah. I would say was amped up to another degree, like to a real. You're not intense at all. <laughs> not at all. But was it just kind of, no, yeah, yeah, no. Well, you work with, you, you work with a bunch of military vets, so compared to the you are military intense. vets, you are intense. I can't, we'll I can't hold a candle. But was it just learning how to? Yeah, I mean, how how did that personality? How has that shaped the culture? Yeah, I think um, what I'm trying to do with the team build is not just replicate my own personality or strengths as well. Um, we need a balance of those. And, you know, I would say one, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for me is something I knew was going to be hard, but, you know, living it is just thinking about more of the human aspect of the team that I'm building. Um, you know, it's easy to kind of be responsible for your own emotional regulation and self-management when you're, you know, either operating as an individual contributor or operating a smaller team. When you're operating a firm, there's more dimensions to that. And as a highly like rational thinker, that that's who I am, I tend to perhaps underplay the emotional aspect of things um, if it doesn't fit a rational framework. And not everybody's like that, you know, far from that. And, and we can have great deal makers here who are, you know, rational thinkers, but might have, you know, more of an emotional component to how they're decision making or how they are, you know, what their personalities like. And so I think being comfortable with that, which is very different than who I necessarily am, is is one of the bigger stretch and stretch learning opportunities for me. Um, you're crafting this well. You're learning <laughs> EQ is what you're saying. Um, but it's, it's interesting, right? And I think it brings up a larger, a really interesting point, which is as you start to grow, how do you, if your culture is one where you're very connected to the team, how do you still maintain that culture? And, you know, for example, we're trying to think through, you know, you know, what is your personal development plan? 
one year, five years yeah. from now. If you want to be here, fantastic. If you don't, let me let me help you build to that goal. Yeah. And and I think what I've learned is that that's creating a culture of transparency and openness, and people can kind of you know take an easy breath. Um, but then it's also, I think the big idea here that we've discovered is um, when you're building a business with, as an individual or as a small team, you tend to be so focused on just the business mm-hmm. seven days a week. 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's fun. It's also what keeps the roof over the head. But then like, well, what about the team? What are their goals? And right. do I even know them? Have I asked them? And then, and, and that's how, you know, so now what that means practically is I have reminders every week in Slack to remind myself, like to check in with the team. Mm-hmm. And it could be like 515 college. Like, Hey, how are you doing? Right. Or, you know, last week at 830 in the morning at the cafe with my colleague and just Hey, let's take a big step back. Like, yeah. how are things going? Yeah. And then you know, how do we, how do we, as we scale, how do we maintain that personal caring nature? Right. And, and as you scale, it has to not only come from you one to one, it has to be imbued in the team, right? So that they can replicate that with their juniors or their peers. Um, I do think, you know, one of the upsides of kind of, you know, we're back in our office and actually I've been in the office for a year of getting, you know, those unstructured, unplanned checkpoints. Hey, how are you doing? Water cooler talk, a proverbial water cooler. That's where a lot of that can happen that's not mm-hmm. scheduled. And when it is scheduled, it feels a little bit more forced, perhaps. Um, so, um, but if it's not possible in person, I think it's important to do that. And this is definitely a weakness of mine. Have you, have you, um, I was just talking about this with uh, some other uh another client and they're like, how do you, how can we develop a quality culture over zoom if we're still not coming in? And it's, it's how, how do you, Yeah. how do you create those unstructured moments of just going out to lunch and then you just naturally feel more connected because you're walking into the same place together. Right. I, I personally believe that it's not possible to totally replicate what you can do in person over zoom. And so that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be working in the same office every day, but you, I do think that there's some in-person touch points throughout a year that need to be in place to enable that. And in the meantime, of course, it's going to be a phone call or a text message or a Slack or, you know, perhaps a Zoom as well. But um, you but know, are structured things that that you all do here, like Friday shout-outs of like, hey, I am specifically calling out this one person for just kicking ass this week and this yeah. or you know like the question of the week for this meeting that's unrelated to work you know if you had an olympic sport what would it be oh i never knew you played hockey growing up that yeah. kind of stuff yeah yeah we i mean we we do have like our tuesday firm meetings we do our monday meetings on tuesday mornings and we'll have you know kind of a an informal lunch every tuesday so that's one thing um and most people will be in unless there's extenuating circumstances on tuesday so that's that's one we do a monthly happy hour um we do it in our clearhaven lounge uh, which you probably saw if you stood in the center of our office and rotated 360 degrees you got yourself a tour um and those are like you know, just those are important moments. Um, and we'll, we we had a random one last week just because, you know, we hadn't gotten together as a team for a little while. So some of those things kind of come up um, impromptu. To your point, we tend to be very driven. We tend to be focused on the next thing that's coming. And so having uh, the, an ability to just pause and honestly, like it could be randomly get together. It could be celebrate a milestone of success. This is another one I'm working on. 
which is celebrating success along the way because I know myself well enough at this point. There's always going to be another okay. objective on the other okay. end of the first 312 race. race. Cool. What's next? Totally. And if you don't stop and say, hey, that was great. Like, let's take a moment. Then you just run one achievement into the next. But you're missing the, the kind of value that comes from noting these things that we've done as an organization. So that's on our values, which is that we celebrate success. And I told the team when we talked about our values and our first principles, this is a hard one for me. So you got to keep me honest on this. And um, and we're trying to do that. And I'm trying to learn and, you know, grow as a person. And uh, it's a great one. How so. did you celebrate raising fund one and, and having that milestone in the firm? We took a duck tour through Boston. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun one after all. Uh, no, we did. We had a... <laughs> it's, not, it's not the private yacht with that holds 50 people. <laughs> it was a private duck tour. It was a private, it was duck, a tour. private duck tour. Um, and someone went to the 7-Eleven and got a couple of beers on the way over. So, um, no, look, I think there's, there's real... We, we got to keep ourselves humble and humility is another one our core, of our core values. Uh, you know, everyone who joined our firm had a rite of passage. They had to bring their own screwdriver and make their own desk. Um, and that wasn't by accident. It was just what needed to be done. And <laughs> we certainly weren't going to hire people to, to do that. Um, but, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think are able to be built into the fabric of a firm early. And I think as you scale, it does become harder. So we'll see our, our next challenge and how we keep humility, you know, into the organization as it scales um, won't be about building your own desk from scratch, but it will be about other things that we carry into our day to day. And um, I think as leaders of our organizations, you know, it's on us to make sure that that remains consistent with the core um, of of where the firm started, but, you know, lots of private equity firms now have been around for decades and decades. And one of the reasons that there are new firms like Clearhaven is because it, you know, we thought some things could change and we would carry forward things that worked well, but we were comfortable leaving some things behind that didn't work as well. And so I think the onus is on us as leaders of new firms as well to remember that over time, organizations do need to evolve and change and be organic. And that hopefully the the values can continue forward, but how those are applied or what gets added to that mix, that's okay to, to change as well. And we're still in inning one here, so we're holding on to those you know first principles. But um, maybe shifting yeah. a little bit when you think about focus, how have you kind of dealt with this in the past? Because you know within technology that's broad, within yeah. software that's broad. Yeah. And how do you deal with FOMO? Right. Um, I just interviewed Patrick McGinnis, so you know, I've known each other for a while, and he had his book with FOMO, and then Fo- and then his FOBO, I think, is the new book that came out. But it's it's you know we're thinking about this now mm-hmm. when we look at the the breadth of services, like we have kind of yeah. carved out a niche as being unique in video for this really specific niche yeah. within the M&A community, broadly speaking, and then LinkedIn content. But then you have to ask yourself, do we do websites? Do we do branding? Do we do PR? Do we right. do all these other services? You know, and it's like, oh, but if I just focus on this, I know that we can do it really well. Yeah. And I know we have a name for it, but are we going to miss out right. on becoming a full service firm? Yeah. And do we do we plant like little bets and just kind of have, the, you know, like our character right. in the game is like, all things are growing at once. You need to get really good at one category. Right. So that's, you know, how do we, how 
have you dealt with that? Yeah. How have you seen the technology companies you've been involved with, right. you know, make that tough strategic decision? Have you seen firms um, do a broader thing and successfully, or is it stay focused on something early for three to five years and then you grow? Right. Well, focus. Focus so is a, a longer. It's a very high, a great important topic. strategic question. <laughs> it's a really important strategic question, and focus is a great topic. And if you look at our website, you know, one our, our homepage has focus and shared values. Those are two of the things again that we are founded on. And focus, we, we focus on lower middle market software, broadly defined. That's sub one hundred million of ARR. More specifically, our sweet spot is twenty to sixty million of ARR businesses that have achieved that first level and are looking for a partner to scale past that point. Even within that area of focus, and we're talking software and software-driven technology companies to the exclusion of all else, even within that market, that's more than 20,000 addressable assets. So to your point, that's still very broad. We're a team of 10 people. So then the question is like, okay, well, how many private equity firms are there? How many don't have video? And if we charged, you know, X for a video, and we did that for two or three years when we still have good business. Right. And then there's the, like, don't delude yourself with the 1% of China argument as well, if, even if you have a large TAM. You know, what we do within that is we focus on only a handful of thematic areas of interest at any given time. And our themes are rooted in prior experience, where our network is strong, where we believe we have conviction on a certain type of company and what we can do with it and how we can help create value. They are themes like data proliferation, which includes video data proliferation, by the way. We have a strong belief and a track record in backing video software companies and and companies that help address mass proliferation of data in enterprises. And data is absolutely useless unless you can make sense of it, unless you can monetize it, unless you can derive insights from it. And software solutions really help enable that. Um, so that's one major theme. And we'll click down a level or two or three, and we'll look to find and identify companies that really own their sweet spot. might be a vertical market. It might be applied in a different way. And then get to know them and pursue those investments because we have a perspective on it. We have a theme around critical business systems, systems of record, compliance, regulatory management, governance systems. Why? Because that's hard to do well. It requires simplifying a lot of complexity in a regulated environment, for example, and it's not often a core competency of those businesses. So automation, software solutions are really helpful to that end. So four or five major investment themes, we divide them among our deal quarterbacks. They're primarily responsible for originating and creating sub-thematic ideas within that and then that's what we come to work every day doing. So it boils down that you know large addressable market into what we really have a belief that we can uniquely win in today in a very competitive market and that we have a reason to be at the table and having a conversation and then able to move with conviction, which is important. Speed is important in a highly competitive environment. So those things help us create even more focus within a general area of specialty. I will say we're biased. We have a belief that specialists be generalists in our markets and being specialists within, you know, a specialist market enhances our ability to move quickly. Um, How do you make that decision of, you know, specialist versus generalist? And in our, um, you know, if we were to say, okay, we're looking at 51 labs or company or other agency, why? You know, they offer branding, website development, 
kind of video, kind of yeah. LinkedIn, but also PR. We want a full service solution. How do we, that's a strategic question we're asking ourselves. Yeah. Like, do we develop in that direction now, later, ever? Right. Like, how, how would you well, I think, that decision? you know, and we work with our companies on this all the time. And one thing I will say that in that size range that I mentioned we target, um, we tend to see companies losing focus. Um, because they now think we need to hit a certain we're, we're a certain scale that's bigger than we've ever been. Now we need to be more things to more people, all things to all people. We all know that no one's all things to all people. So you kind of have to start with the end in mind again. What is our winning aspiration over what period of time? Um, and we do this exercise with our portfolio companies at the outset of our investment. What is our strategy effectively let's underwrite our strategy for what we want to be i say when we grow up and by that i mean a five-year investment hold period and back into what does that mean for the capabilities we need to have today for the team that we need to have today for the customers that we serve today versus the customers that we want to serve maybe they're the same and we want a greater share of wallet maybe they are a broader universe of customers and you're not going to get to that winning aspiration tomorrow but you've got to be underwriting your annual plans year on year on year to move toward it ultimately. And your customers could pull you there as well. You have to be careful to filter out the noise because customers will want you to do potentially everything. So you've got to match what you're going to get paid for with your core competencies or the capabilities that you bring and does it match your strategic roadmap, right? Is it where you're going to where you want to go? Ultimately. Yeah, that's a really good point on losing focus versus what I wrote down, testing. Because we got into annual meetings because we tested it, and now we've had, you know, the second cycle of it. Yeah. And, you know, repeat. So that test turned out to be worthwhile. Absolutely. But then on the same thing, we did two websites recently. We're like, this isn't our, we shouldn't be doing this. Sure. But then that led into one client doing more work with video and LinkedIn. Yeah. But then how do you make that decision on for every client that is like that, where you do a small website to get a bigger project, there are more clients who don't even care about the website for you. They just want to do what you're known for. Right. And then just build that out. But it's, I like the greater share of wallet that goes, the analogy here is like, okay, well, do well at the GP level and then what? Then for like you go to the work. portfolio companies, or maybe you're working on a certain type of video for them, but you can do more types of video for yeah. them, or maybe more beyond video. I like to think about the market opportunity set, the organic set, primarily as like concentric circles of a bullseye. What is your absolute core today? Do as much of that as possible. Then what's the next concentric circle? And what do you need to build in terms of competency, capability, et cetera? to get to that next concentric circle. Maybe you know, for companies that we back, sometimes it's a buy versus build to get to that third circle at some point. Um, but you wanna believe that you are pursuing a strategy and you are commanding a price premium, if you will, for the, the value proposition that you're delivering in the market. That gives you a unique competitive advantage or you have a competitive advantage where you can command a price premium for the service or, or product yeah, that because then you can do you can do projects faster because you know the client better the industry better the service better and we know how to do it with higher quality um and then you can charge a premium because the clients also know that what they're getting with us um, exactly as opposed yeah it's this interesting phase of being 
wandering and testing appropriately yeah versus no like we are known for video and linkedin mm-hmm. we are not known for websites we're not known for branding we're not known for these other things the long list of services right so do you do that and just say listen guys it's not talking about anything unless it says video and LinkedIn. Well, or in the category in the category of strategy, it's also knowing your ideal customer profile. Who is your ideal customer, and what do they care about? What are their purchase criteria? And then you got to rank that by order of importance. So, is low price a top you know criteria for your customers? I venture not. No. That's not the case. Put that down the list. So it's not about price. Is it about quick turnaround times and reliability? Is it around? differentiated approach to how you think about shooting a particular video? Is it about the angle you take? You know, put what are the key purchase criteria and how do you rank? How does 51 Labs rank against that purchase criteria? And you wanna see high alignment with what you guys are good at with what your customers value the most and then low alignment with the things they care about least, right? That's another way of thinking about, should I test over here? And small scale experimentation is great as long as it's not diverting you from, you know, too much of your, your core day to day, um, fail kind of small yeah. and fast kind of thing, but just make sure that you're lining up what you guys are really good at with the key purchase criteria of your ideal customer. <laughs> good strategy session here um i should have brought my partner kevin in. he'll do the whole thing with you guys the, the, it, it's it's fascinating well actually to to yeah let's talk about that so you have three portfolio companies and your partner kevin and focus more on the ops and yeah. you know what have been fun of the that definitely know what i just said there um what have been some of the fun times in or interesting times and challenging times working with your three portfolio companies and yeah what was your first investment where'd you go two years ago or whenever that first one is to where you are now and kind of how do you when you partner with a company what do those first months looking like right like the first let me ask that again because once again i have trouble speaking english (laughs) um so (laughs) when you partner with the company what do those first months look like The first year is always really intensive because when we invest in a business, we are always investing at an inflection point. They've achieved a first level of success, but they need to break through that sound barrier, I call it, to get to the next level. And so it's an intensive first year, more front end weighted, right? We start with a strategy alignment workshop. We start with really re-underwriting a strategy for the next five years, the horizon that we take. And that's a lot about creating that winning aspiration, identifying the ideal customer profile, identifying the key purchase criteria against that ICP, and then aligning resources and activities to support that ideal customer profile. So that's an element of where we start, but then it's also about thinking about talent and culture of the companies. Where do they have the talent they need for the next stage? Where do we need to add, augment the team? A third piece is really around go-to-market. This is often an undermanaged area of businesses we invest in, or it's it's not really optimized for the next level of scalability. Why? Because we're investing in great technology businesses. They start as technology businesses most often with good markets, but at a certain point, you also need to build in go-to-market scalability. That's in the form of sales and marketing and customer success and product. And we try to align those in a way that is consistent with a lot of experience we bring that creates what Kevin calls the flywheel effect to really accelerate growth. 
A fourth element for us, and we spent a lot of time on this in the early months and quarters, is optimization. We have a firm belief that software businesses that are growing 15 to 40% per year, which are our target companies, should be profitable at the scale we're investing and should create more profitability as they scale. That is the model that if you're running a software business efficiently, that's the model you'll, that will result. So it's about optimization. We call that lever of our playbook, our, our software blueprint. And these are this is very metrics-based. This is based on experience and looking at scaling software businesses over time, what should be true within certain parameters where we invest. And then the fifth is thinking about M&A. That tends to not be a year one focus for us, but you don't always pick your deal timing. And if you know where you're going strategically and you see acquisitions that make sense, you do them. Um, and in fact, Engageware, you asked about our first portfolio company. Our first portfolio company uh, was a deal we closed in March of 2020, which was not for the faint of heart, um, but we had high conviction. This is a company that addressed customer engagement with a primary focus on banks, credit unions, financial institutions, but also other end markets that served as well. And that company we acquired in March. By December of that year, we had a fantastically strong strategic fit add-on acquisition company called SilverCloud. That was not in our year one plan originally, but it fit very much on the strategy that we re-underwrote. And we closed that deal nine months after the original transaction. And that company is now called Engageware, rebranded as Engageware, really serving customer engagement software to the financial institution market. It's, it's become a, a primary financial technology play. So that was our first investment. Again, that M&A was a result of taking the time to really re-underwrite strategy at the beginning of our investment and, and then action on that when an add-on acquisition opportunity came, uh, became available that made good sense. Second investment is in video, a business called Wowza Media Systems. They really provide uh, the infrastructure elements around live streaming, the ability to take and ingest video from many different sources and deliver it to many different endpoints seamlessly. Uh, they are a household name among video engineers and really help uh, media streaming work at the core of many different applications, again, many different end markets. But they are really a business that is suited for uh, companies, enterprises, and mid-market businesses for whom live streaming is a an essential part of what they deliver and is not a core competency. It's really hard to do at scale, and Wowza does that really well, business based in Colorado. How how do you kind of think about setting with the team uh, difficult, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals where if you hit every goal, then the goal wasn't hit high enough with something that's achievable? Mm -hmm. And how do you kind of work with teams? Yes. I mean, firstly, you know, we're a private equity investment firm. And whenever we invest in a company, every, like we look to have every deal work. So what we don't do is take super high flying crazy bets like you can do in venture, but a lot of other companies might not work out. We want every deal to work out. So when we talk about our big audacious goals, these are goals that are akin to doubling or tripling the size of our companies over a relatively short period of time. That's not easy to do. And in order to make that possible, we try to align all of these elements that we're talking about to, to tip the the scales in favor of success 
And then, of course, we back into what does that mean on an annual goal plan? And our, our annual plans are always going to be stretch plans. They're, we're always going to want to push ourselves to a little bit of the zone of uncomfortable. But these are also plans that are meant to be achievable. Um, now, does everything work out perfectly? Absolutely not. We're prepared for things to go wrong along the way. We want to also have multiple levers to success. If you're reliant only on one single thing happening, for example, sometimes businesses will talk to businesses and they're like, you know, we really think we can be acquired by, you name it, big tech company. That's not a, a plan that we're going to be willing to underwrite. You don't build a business for one specific acquire. You're, you're going to limit your, you're going to have a very binary outcome, right? You're going to limit your optionality. So we also look for multiple levers to success. We align on a certain path A, but we also want to know that there's path B if we need to pursue that. And that breaks down, again, in the form of annual goals, quarterly goals, et cetera. So some of them will feel unattainable when we start. Um, and the management teams will be surprised when we do achieve them. And others, you know, maybe we were overly ambitious. That's, you know, that's a part of it along the way as well. But we're constantly pushing toward what's a challenging plan, but we believe attainable. You kind of think there are some concluding thoughts. What is what does this look like three years from now? What is, you know, how 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 do you define success? Maybe even ten years from now, because three years seems like it's too tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like yeah, fun to double it. Okay, cool. And then <laughs> double the team, double the fund, double yeah. the fun. Um, but yeah, what is what do you think success looks like for you individually and for the team uh, ten years from now? Yeah, you know, I I think there there's not a different answer as to what success looks like for me individually and for the team in 10 years. I think it is gonna be one and the same. And um, you know, to that end, yes, it's gonna be that we are, um, you know, we raised to fund X, whatever X is. It's going to be that we did that because we delivered on what we said we were gonna do. And doing what you say you're gonna do is back to one of our first principles. And that means we've delivered returns to our investors. That means that we have been a partner of choice for companies who want a partner who has software expertise. Um, I really do believe that Clearhaven can be a partner of choice in the private equity market for companies and for investors. And that is our goal at the end of the day. We're only gonna do that if we're delivering great returns and great outcomes. And, and that is why, you know, why we exist. Um, and we're only going to deliver great outcomes if we've got good alignment with our management teams and we're creating strategic plans and audacious goals that we achieve. So the good news is that it should hang together if we're consistent. Um, but really, that it, it's, it's not going to be magic. It's not going to be more magical than that. It's really going to be the blocking and tackling to get to what that definition of success will look like. And if we do that, I'll be very happy. I'll, I think our team will be very happy and, you know, we'll take it from there.